Sometimes it's hard to see God's fingerprints in our lives. Sometimes we wonder where He is and how He's working, but He's always working. And if you belong to Him, He's working in your life, whether you see it or not. We're going to see that more as Esther rises to be the queen in Persia today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. We notice in verse 3, they say, Let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa the capital, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given them. The attendants proposed a plan for the decree to go out. All 127 provinces, all these young virgins, unmarried young ladies, eligible young ladies, were to be brought to the capital of the empire for the king. And he already had a large harem. There's a later king, Xerxes II, that the extra-biblical records tell us that he had 360 concubines. 360 women in a harem just waiting for him to call upon them. Let me see, quick calculation. If you take a Jewish year, 360 days, that's a different woman every night. And then the story says that once he had them, and as one writer put it, deflowered them, he would replace them all with new virgins. So that one man's sensual uh, desires ruined hundreds and hundreds of lives. I was reading another author who said, just so that you understand the fullness of this, Herodotus also reports that 500 young men, or young boys, were gathered each year and castrated to serve as eunuchs in the Persian court. Let me say that one more time. 500 young boys per year castrated and put into the service of this king. And for this one man? For what? Because everybody's got to be at his beck and call. That's what it was about. You served the empire. And so how many people who had dreams about a family and, you know, a fairy tale wedding and, and, and you know, generations to come from that had their lives ruined by this one man who had power and authority. And how many people in our culture go down the path of the Persian Empire and buy into the lie that it's all about one-night stands and hookups and swiping right on this person's picture so you can go this and you don't have to have any entanglements or attachments to that person. You can just have a one-night stand with them. No, I got news for you. Every person that you're with intimately will be written on your soul. Because that's the way God designed it. God designed that intimacy would be much more than a physical act, but that it would be something spiritual. And even some people might say mystical. God designed it so that two would become one in that intimate act. And they would find beauty and depth of relationship. But when this kind of scene happens in the Persian court and all it is about is a person's pleasure and just using and abusing people, well, it churns out 
a bunch of empty souls walking around who are dead even while they live. She who gives herself to wanton pleasure, 1 Timothy 5 says, is dead while she lives. Can I put it this way? She's dead on her feet. You can look into people's eyes today and see it. Hopelessness and despair because all the avenues by which they have been instructed to pursue all the friends that were saying, oh yeah, this is the way to go. This is the way to do it. Produce nothing. Nothing for the soul. In fact, every time you do this, your soul pays the price. And Jesus said, what would a person give in exchange for their soul? Apparently a whole lot. Now they gave these women cosmetics. I have absolutely no comment on that. <laughs> but actually the, the language means this was like a beauty regimen and it was a beauty treatment that they did. Now imagine, these are the most beautiful women in the kingdom and they give them a year of a beauty treatment before they can even see the king. Now I know you ladies take a little longer than guys to get ready in the morning, right? Now this could open up a whole can of worms right now. We might have to need to schedule some extra counseling. Pastor Chris, be ready because I'm going to talk about this. It's just a mystery. We'll just leave it in the mystery category. Right? But, but what's with this year? What are you talking about a year? Well, this is what it says. It says, let the young lady who pleases the king be, uh, be queen in place of Vashti. Let the, and the matter please the king, and he did accordingly. So kind of let it be written, let it be done. Later we'll see that they did a year of this beauty regiment. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Women have to prepare for a year just to be with him for a night? Well, that's kind of what it was. What kind of drama do you think was in the palace among these ladies? Do you think that this was the Persian version of The Bachelor? Huh? <laughs> he doesn't like me! He liked me before! And now he doesn't like me! Right? And, and some of you are laughing because you, you record it and you watch it with your friends and you eat popcorn while you do. And there's a girl over here, like me. And they're kissing over here. And, and it's a disaster. <laughs> but it's entertaining. And so all these women brought into this situation. King says. He's been thinking about what he did, and he says, yeah, this is a great idea. Yeah, let, let's do it. Now, the camera shifts in the narrative. Now, there was a Jew. He's everything opposite of King Ahasuerus. There was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, the Kish here is not Saul's father because Saul's father would have lived 1100 BC. That would have been 600 plus years before this time. But this, this particular line connects to the deportation under Nebuchadnezzar. But what it does tell us is that Mordecai's connection is to the tribe of Benjamin. And he has 
a very, he is very Jewish. That's what we need to see. The narrator is telling us. Uh, he is a Jewish man. But he has a, uh, the Mordecai or Mordecai is a Hebraized form of a Babylonian name called Marduka. And so he has a Persian or Babylonian name. The name means little man or man of Marduk or even worshiper of Mars. Some of you may be saying, why does this Jewish hero in the story have a Babylonian name after a Babylonian god? Because when you were exiled into a foreign land as a slave, what did they try to do? They tried to assimilate you. And one of the first things they would do is give you a new name. If, for example, if your name was Daniel and your name means God is my judge, the true God is my judge, they renamed Daniel to Belteshazzar. And you had Daniel's friends. You had Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they got new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All after gods that were in Babylon. False gods. Now, did, did Daniel and his three friends worship the true God? Yeah, that's what we learn in the book of Daniel. But they had Babylonian names because they were trying to assimilate them into the empire. And that's what was happening with this man. He believed in the true God, but he was given a name that reflected this culture. The only time that Marduk is ever mentioned in scriptures by Jeremiah, this is what it says. Jeremiah 50, verse 2. Declare and proclaim among the nations. Proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. So God talks about Marduk and uh, the name of this famous Bible hero is after this false god. And so... We see his line there. He's from Benjamite stock from the tribe of Benjamin and so forth. Now, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem. Uh, this is talking about his family members now with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah. Another name for him is Jehoiachin. You can write down 2 Kings 24, 14 and 15. But when the uh, king of Babylon took the captives, he took the king of Judah, the one over the area of Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had them exiled. So basically, you have a kind of a great-grandfather here to the person we're talking about, Mordecai, to tell us the backstory of how he ended up in the Persian court. Everybody with me? He's Jewish, but he ended up here because his family members were taken by Nebuchadnezzar 100-plus years before and put into this situation. However, there was a decree by Cyrus in 539, 538 BC, so about 60 years before this, that allowed the Jews to do what? Go back to their homeland and rebuild. And the families that were still in Persia were families that decided to not go back but to stay. Why? I don't know. There could be a positive and a negative argument. The positive argument is that Jeremiah says that they were to plant houses and build and, and be a positive citizen even where they were exiled. But the negative argument is that they didn't heed the call of God to go back to the homeland because maybe it was too hard or maybe they had just settled in the Persian Empire. And it's easy to settle. Some of you may have settled tonight in a job or a situation. You felt a call on your life. You knew that you were supposed to be somewhere else, but you've settled for the sake of whatever, the bills or whatever it may be.
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Pastor Michael Lance and everyone at Walk in Truth wanted to let you know how much we appreciate your partnering with this ministry, whether through prayer, by listening, and of course, financially. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where Pastor Michael is the head pastor. We are looking to get Walk in Truth on many more radio stations, but we need your financial support to be able to do that. Please visit the website walkintruth.com. Click the donate button at the top, and that's where you'll learn more and how you can give online or through the mail and become a monthly partner or give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. And God bless you for your donation. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Do not conceal it, but say Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. So God talks about Marduk and uh, the name of this famous Bible hero is after this false god. And so we see his line there. He's from Benjamite stock from the tribe of Benjamin and so forth. Now, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem. Uh, This is talking about his family members now with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah. Another name for him is Jehoiachin. You can write down 2 Kings 24, 14 and 15. But when the uh, king of Babylon took the captives, he took the king of Judah the one over the area of Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had them exiled. So basically, you have a kind of a great-grandfather here to the person we're talking about, Mordecai, to tell us the backstory of how he ended up in the Persian court. Everybody with me? He's Jewish, but he ended up here because his family members were taken by Nebuchadnezzar 100-plus years before and put into this situation. However, there was a decree by Cyrus in 539, 538 BC, so about 60 years before this, that allowed the Jews to do what? Go back to their homeland and rebuild. And the families that were still in Persia were families that decided to not go back but to stay. Why? I don't know. There could be a positive and a negative argument. The positive argument is that Jeremiah says that they were to plant houses and build and and be a positive citizen even where they were exiled. But the negative argument is that they didn't heed the call of God to go back to the homeland because maybe it was too hard or maybe they had just settled in the Persian Empire. And it's easy to settle. Some of you may have settled tonight in a job or a situation. You felt a call on your life. You knew that you were supposed to be somewhere else, but you've settled for the sake of whatever, the bills or whatever it may be. It's easy to do. And so we learn what happened, why he ended up in this place. If you want to see a little bit more about this, read Jeremiah 24, 1 through 7, where God talks about good figs and bad figs in the land and them being deposed into this foreign land. And God's going to do good to the good figs and among them are Mordecai and Esther. Now Mordecai was bringing, verse 7, up Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. But her name here in the Persian court is Esther. She, Esther, uh, notice he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother Now the young lady, Esther, was beautiful of form and face. And when her father and her mother died, 
Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now we learn a little bit more. This is kind of like when you begin to watch a movie and the characters are introduced very early in the story so you can see who they are, kind of learn how they ended up in this situation. That's what we're getting. We've learned about the king. We've learned about the queen. We've learned about the court. We've been introduced to Mordecai and now we're introduced to the one for whom the book is named, that is Esther. Esther is a Babylonian name and it comes after the love goddess Ishtar. Hadassah is a Hebrew name which means myrtle. If you've studied the Bible or heard some stuff about the myrtle tree before, a myrtle is an evergreen tree with, a dark, with dark glossy leaves, white flowers. The leaves, flowers, and berries of the myrtle were used for perfume and seasoning for food. The myrtle tree had a religious significance for the Jews. It was a symbol of peace and joy. In fact, the myrtle is a part of the lulav, a group of branches or flowers used during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so her name means myrtle. And it speaks of beauty and grace, and that's who she is. She's beautiful in face and form. She's a beautiful woman through and through. She's, she's pretty, gorgeous, etc. And this is what we're introduced to. But in this world, beauty wasn't always a positive thing. Because if you were beautiful, you might get the attention of the enemy, and then they might want to bring you into their own court. If you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of the Ten Commandments, how many of you have seen that? Uh, there's an there's a older Jewish man in the mud pits, and a Jewish woman's basically you know, taken in by them, and he says, you abuse our women, and, and he, he says, beauty is a curse for us, and then they kill him in the mud pit because he speaks out against them. But this is who she is. She's caught between two worlds. Her name is Hadassah, Myrtle, but she's named after Ishtar, the love goddess, because she's in the Persian court. And the decisions of you know, former generations reverberate. Her mom and dad are dead. And we learn something about Mordecai now that's interesting. He's the opposite of King Ahasuerus. Mordecai is a selfless man. Mordecai has taken in Esther adopted her into his family as his own daughter. He loves her. He, he is a selfless man. Many of you have opened up your hearts and homes and uh, taken in ones who were not biologically yours because of love. And it's an awesome picture of the gospel. And so it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to Susa, the capital, into the custody of Hegei, that Esther was taken. The words there could imply force, but we don't know for sure. To the king's palace, notice, into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. All of a sudden, because Mordecai had a position somewhere in the Persian government, uh, Esther lived with him, so she was around close by where the edict was given, and she was taken. Did she fight? Did she resist? Did she cry? We don't know. The Bible is absolutely silent. Did anybody resist? Did anybody try to run away? Were they taken with swords and clubs into custody? We just don't know. But all of a sudden, she's living her normal everyday life. I don't know what her normal everyday life looked like, but all of a sudden, horses and, and you know, uh, military guard pull up and they start plucking up young gals. You might imagine anywhere from 
13 to 17, 18 years old in there. And they start grabbing them off the streets, one by one by one. And maybe they're told as they're taken, the king is looking for a new queen and you will be brought into the harem and maybe you'll be chosen, but if not, you will stay in the harem as a concubine for the king. Would that be a little devastating? I don't know what kind of expectations Esther had of a life, but could you imagine that maybe there was a young man somewhere in the Jewish community that she already loved? Maybe a young man that had expressed some interest in her? Maybe uh, the guardian, Mordecai, was talking to that young man's parents. We don't know. We're, I'm speculating, but I would imagine that she had hopes and dreams. I would imagine that she thought about a fairy tale wedding, that she thought about a man that she could love and a family that she could have with a man in her future. And now to be taken by the Persian king to be one of his dolls that he plays with, if I can put it that way, when he wants to, tragic. I would imagine that she was devastated. She was taken, she was put into custody, and now she's in this different world. Application. God can take our pain and our broken dreams and work out something for his glory and for good. In fact, the Bible says God works all things together for what? For good to those who love him. But do you hear that verse? He works it all, all things together for good, but it wasn't necessarily all about Esther's good. What was it about, folks? It was about the good of the people. See, Esther became a vehicle or a channel or a vessel by which the nation would be saved. So sometimes when we quote Romans 8.28, we immediately put it in the context of my good. And I believe God wants to do good for us. In fact, every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen? Amen. However, it's not always about your good. It could be about somebody else's good. Where God is weaving the tapestry together by which he can use you as a vehicle to reach out with his love, even through maybe your own pain. It's hard. But humility's expression is precisely what our King Jesus modeled. That we are to esteem others, you ready? As more important than ourselves. Wow. Is that the worldview you're getting today? That you're to esteem others as more important than you. And it's captured in the words of Hadassah when she says, If I perish. I perish. See, this is what Jesus modeled for us. And in fact, this is where we find life because it is more blessed to give than to receive. But we don't believe it. Because if we did, we'd be doing a lot more giving and we'd be looking out for a lot more best interests of others than ourselves. Amen? I know it's hard truth, but here it is. And so you can see how Mordecai is so different. He's contrasted with his pagan king. Now the young lady, Esther, thrust into this world will have to move quickly. She pleased him, that is the eunuch in charge, and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place 
in the harem. Apparently, she got put in the area with the A-team. You know, I have the A-band and the B-band. Well, apparently she was part of the A-band. And, and somehow she impressed this servant. It could be that she was obedient, she was sweet, she was obviously beautiful. But overarching theme is it's the favor of God on her. Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. See, when God's grace is upon you, it's not necessarily about you, it's about him. It's about what doors he's opening for you in certain contexts. And so he quickly elevates her, speeds up uh, her process, gives her the royal treatment, if you will. And the hand of God is on a very bleak situation. Well, sometimes we do think that God will slowly move us around or slowly move us into his grand plan for our lives, but sometimes he really streamlines the process. Things move quickly, suddenly, and he throws us to the head. He throws us there first because he has a specific plan for a specific time, and that's really what happened with Esther. Well, listening family, and those of you who may be listening for the first time, I'm Pastor Michael, and I would love to hear from you today. Give me your thoughts on this teaching or let me know if you need some prayer or how the program's been a blessing to you. We'd appreciate it. You can get the contact information for the ministry at walkintruth.com. Well, tomorrow we're going to conclude this teaching in Esther chapter 2 called God's Queen is Crowned. So tune in again tomorrow on this station. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.